0: Uh, but first, I just want to make a couple notes to piggyback a little bit on Dar. This Thursday night, 7 o'clock, uh, the good question thing. There will be cookies. <laughs> so come at least for that. Uh, but I'm actually inviting in uh, professionals, uh, Bill Krim and Joni Yacco, uh who work a lot. They are well known for helping people um, countywide with anger issues, and so they know how to help people sort through how that works, especially when it comes to contentious issues. So throughout this whole series that I've been doing, uh, Do I Stay Christian, we've been talking about uh, divisive issues, and we've got holidays coming up where you're going to be uh, thrust together with people you may not always spend a lot of time together, and they may not see the world exactly like you do, and that may actually come up as you're passing the turkey, and that could be problematic, and so wouldn't it be nice if we could equip you in some way uh, to help you know how to navigate those kinds of contentious things, and I've kind of previewed with them what they're going to be doing. It's going to be highly worth your time. Invite people to come. They're welcome to come. It's an open event. It's a free event. And it's just a way for us to be better equipped at being more humane human beings and civil in our world today. So please uh, think about that. And also next week is going to be an interesting experience. Uh, uh, This uh, one act play is going to take the place of what I would normally do at the teaching because I think uh, it's that good uh, for us to hear so uh, it's largely autobiographical so we'll have a couple songs up front and then just let her do her thing again this is really a good thing to invite friends to for a different kind of experience uh, she's a professional actress in the Bay Area been uh, acting for decades and uh, this tells her story so come uh, hear her story some of you have never heard a story like hers before uh, you've perhaps grown up in a church bubble and didn't know that people experienced the kinds of things that she did as someone who came into a church and then experienced a reality of church much of which I've talked about these last couple of months uh, and kind of caused her to want to walk away for a while and yet Uh, she found a different way of thinking about things in her life and is still uh, Christian, Jesus Father and all that uh, which you'll get to that. So that's next Sunday and then the final thing just to reiterate we have this conference coming up where you've got some of the biggest heaviest hitters in the world on uh, this particular bent of theology and so Tom Ward, uh, you've heard me talk about him a lot, we've had him uh, via video here a couple of times. Uh, he's going to be featured on Friday night, uh, November 4, and a woman named Catherine Keller who, uh, according to Tom, is a bigger deal than he is on this stuff, is going to be featured Saturday night. Now here's the thing, um, if you don't want to come or not able to come for the whole event, you can come just for Friday night, and you can come just for Saturday night. and. It's for free. Uh, You can just come and be a part of those two things. And we're just going to take an offering to help offset the expenses for that. So if that's all you can swing in terms of your uh, participation, please come. In fact, I encourage you to come. This is a rare opportunity uh, for you to be a part of this. So come Friday night and Saturday night or come for just one of those. Uh, and if you've already paid for the rest of the thing, uh, you don't have to pay any of the offering because you're covered uh, for the Friday and Saturday night. But I, I, we wanted to do this just to get more people engaged. So I hope you'll come Friday night. Uh, look for a calendar invite for me of some sort because I'd really love to see you there and start to get an idea of uh, how many people we can expect for that. So please come to that. Okay, let's jump into uh, this teaching. So today, uh, we wrap up my part of the teaching part of this series, although next week is definitely related to it. Do I stay Christian? And last week, I gave you the reasons about why I'm still in this thing and why I still am a person of faith, a Jesus person, and will be the rest of my life. Uh, That's just how it's going to be. And I hope I gave you good enough reasons to maybe think that through yourself. But today we want to talk about how do we do this thing? How do we be a different kind of Christian in a world today that is so divided and there are people more than ever in our country's history walking away not just from church but from faith? Is there a way that we can, uh, by the way we live and the choices we make, uh, perhaps help people enter back in or reconsider things. And that's what I hope to do today. To get us there, there are a lot of different scriptures that I could have used for this today. Um, But the one that most of the Christian world is looking at today actually fits pretty well. And so we're going to look at this passage from Luke chapter 8. This is toward the end of his life, uh, Jesus' life. And he's teaching uh, a mixed crowd of people. Some are teachers of the law and Pharisees. uh, And this is a parable that he told. So he told this next story to some who were complacently pleased with themselves over their moral performance and looked down their noses at the common people. Now, this must have been a phenomenon back in Jesus' day because I don't know any religious people that do that uh, today in our culture, but apparently there were people who did this back then, pleased with their moral performance and looked down uh, from their noses at the common people, regular ordinary people. So this is a parable. This two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, which if you're new to this lingo, Pharisee was a religious leader of his day. Somebody in charge of maybe a synagogue somewhere. Um, Technically, uh, he's probably also referring to a larger body of religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees. But by this time in history, Nobody really knew what a a a Sadducee was anymore, so he just uses this blanket term, the the Gospel of Luke. So this is a religious leader, and you're going to find out which kind of person he was, a common person or the other. And it's pretty obvious through the words that Jesus puts in his mouth. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a taxman. Uh, Just a word of note before we hear what they prayed, the tax man, uh, just as much as they're hated today, (laughs) uh, they were hated more back then uh, because people would choose to uh, employ themselves with the Roman Empire, Jewish people living in Jewish homelands. And when they uh, signed up to work for the Roman Empire, they also knew that this provided great opportunity. They knew but by taking the job, they were going to be immediately ostracized from everybody because they're working for the enemy. Uh, But they also knew that because they were ostracized, it made it all the more reasonable for them to skim as much as possible off the top. And so they had license to do so. It's not like you could do an internet search and find out exactly how much you owed on any particular thing. You were at the mercy of the tax collector. And so tax collectors often became very rich and everybody knew it was off the common person's back. So they were hated. So you have a religious leader, and you have a hated tax collector. The Pharisee posed and prayed like this, oh God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, crooks, adulterers, or heaven forbid, like this tax man. (laughs) I fast twice a week, and not for his diet he's just doing it to show off i fast twice a week and tithe on all my income meanwhile the taxman slumped in the shadows his face in his hands not daring to look up said god give mercy forgive me a sinner and jesus commented this taxman not the other went home made right with god if you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you will become more than yourself. So One of these got it right and the other did not. One of these got the point of everything and the other was as far away as possible from really getting what Jesus was about. So. I ask this question on the next slide. How do I stay Christian? And uh, the bullet points that you have before you are uh, things that McLaren talks about. And I'm going to briefly go over these so you have an idea what he's talking about. And the first thing I say at the very top here is how do I stay Christian is to be inconveniently Jesus-like. And what I mean by that is... Um, Now and again, uh, I will get emails sent to me uh, from friends who don't exactly see the world the way that I see them. And uh, some of the things they're just forwarding to me that people that they follow have written and they thought it was good enough to forward along. And oftentimes, uh, whoever was writing that uh, piece, that blog spot or whatever, um, you make sweeping statements, usually in favor of their particular way with sweeping statements and then in a very derogatory way sweeping statements of people uh, who I might represent. And so they might talk about people who can't possibly be Christian because they're open to any range of issues like gender equality or grace when people go through divorce or LGBTQ equality, BIPOC, the whole thing. And what I've done uh, recently with this when people do that, or, or they don't take the Bible literally, or treat it as inerrant or infallible, that's, that's always a, one that I deal with uh, quite a bit, being a pastor. And so what I do uh, when I get that is I just do a simple email back saying, well, I'm a Jesus follower, and I don't, I don't believe in a Bible that needs should be taken literally, I don't believe that it's inerrant or infallible, yet I take it very seriously and I believe in gender equality, and I believe in inclusion, and I believe that we should be graceful toward all, and yet I'm a Jesus follower. And that's deeply inconvenient for people who want to keep a very narrow view of what true Christianity is. So a warning for you that if you're a person who sometimes feels like Christianity should be, na- should be defined in one very particular boxy way, just want to let you know that somebody has a box that excludes you. Guaranteed. So be aware of that. So just how big a box is God's box then? You need to ask yourself. And how, how broad should we think about things? How big is God? Who is God willing to endorse? In the parable we just heard from Jesus, <laughs> the least likely person that we would ever expect God to welcome the prayer from is the one who actually got it right which helps us get to this first bullet point, which is to include and transcend. And this is a really important point that McLaren gets at, and it's why I gave you uh, a chart with very small print on it. Uh, One side, it looks like this. You should have gotten this as you came in. And my question for you is, which column resonates most with you? This uh, comes right from Brian McLaren. Um, A lot of his insights here come out of a previous book he did called Faith After Doubt. And what he discovered through his research is that there is a sort of a predictable uh, pattern of human behavior and how we develop. And so each one of these columns represents a different stage of development from simplicity to complexity to perplexity to harmony. And what he recommends, we're not going to do this today right now, but is to read uh, vertically first. So read everything about simplicity. On the, f- on the far left you have these descriptors here, descriptors here about what these different things mean to a person in that stage of development. So you get to know where those are. And then my question for you simply is where are you now? And why are you where you are now in your development? And then I want you to realize that where you are now is not necessarily where you will always be. Because we as human beings, we ebb and flow. And there may be a time in your life where you find yourself going more to the right or to the left on this chart. And so the whole point and practice of getting familiar with this is so that you'll be a little bit looser with other people that you'll recognize that you as a human being have been in process that you don't always you have not always seen the world the way that you do right now and you won't as time moves on and to give other people that grace so if you don't agree with somebody on a particular thing just recognize it as I don't agree with that person on this thing right now but what a terrible disservice we do to the world if we, <laughs> in our frustration with people who stand their ground on their particular platform, if we then, you know, are just as rigid and jerky toward those people. Now, it doesn't mean that we excuse injustice and we do all that. Don't go too far with that. There's, there's room for that. Uh, there's room for us to say, wait, this is causing people harm and should not be so. But the point of this is to recognize we're human beings in process. This helps you recognize where you are and where other people are in process. There are other ways to think about this. There are other scholars who've written about this. If you've ever done any reading on spiral dynamics, you're gonna recognize some general themes uh, displayed here. If you're a Richard Rohr person, you're gonna recognize some themes. Rob Bell talks about some of these things. And this is just what humans do. So be aware of that. the next thing has to do is start with the heart and to realize that love is the end and the means. Uh, Recently, I was talking to a friend uh, who was uh, recounting an experience that he'd been through uh, with a a friend of his uh, that at one time in his life uh, was pretty convinced that interracial marriage was flat out wrong. And I've had this conversation with multiple people over time, but this just very recently came to mind. And what changed for this person to where the point that he was more comfortable with it is somebody that he loved was marrying somebody with a different skin tone. And all of a sudden, that person with a different skin tone wasn't whatever was thrown before us on whatever media that we might be listening to. It wasn't this distant other that we could just look at sort of objectively. But now this was a real human being that mattered to this person. What's happening there? growing in relationship with each other. I'm gonna tell you that the only way forward uh, for, our, for our world is love. It's the only way forward. Not a wimpy, toast, doormat kind of love, but a deep, fierce kind of love. It's the only way forward. You might get temporary peace if we choose to just bully up and force people into a particular way, but it will not last. Because anytime we try that approach, all it does is create more division and a greater desire for the other to rally up and do the same right back. The sword always means we, if we live by the sword, we die by the sword. But there's a different way that's deeper that works, that brings real harmony and understanding. Love is where we want to end up and the only way we get there is with love. Rewild, I love what McLaren says with this. Um, he mentions that cre- creation is God's first word. So we talk about the word of God. You might have heard that phrase, usually in reference to the Bible as the word of God, which the Bible itself. It's really not the way to think about it uh, because if you go into the scriptures and talk about what is the word of God, it, it really is something beyond the actual text. It's it's the, the emanating presence of God. It's the incarnation of God. And the very first word of God, technically, is creation itself because God spoke creation into being. How that happened, uh, we're still trying to figure all that out, but I believe that there was this energy, this person, this force, whatever, called God that brought all creation uh, into being. And therefore creation itself speaks of God. So what and some of you are, you're way ahead of me on this, you know exactly where this is going. That you know what happens when you spend an extended period of time in creation, just immersed in it. Not there to Scientifically study something or to categorize or not there to just take too fast of a walk, you know Through something or a hike to make time But to more do a John Muir kind of a thing, you know, he said he didn't like to hike He liked to saunter He liked to take his time and what's he talking about? He's because he wanted to observe He wanted to see what was before him and be part of it One of my favorite places in the whole world is up in the High Sierra, a place that Lauren introduced me to, on this little tiny reservoir uh, where you can claim your own island for (laughs) as long as you can primitive camp on it and just be there in it. Because you are not apart. You are not separate from creation. You're a part of it. Nobody who's ever lived and died on this great planet uh, has escaped this planet you're going to be a part of this rock forever. You're connected to it. So the more we can ground ourselves in it and just be a part of it, something happens in us that we respect it more, we appreciate it more. There is a, um, a part of theology, particularly in uh, the Christian tradition, that just has this view of God just wiping out everything in, in time. I would tell you that's bad interpretation of the Bible. I understand where it comes from, but that does not make sense uh, with what God is trying to do uh, in creation. Uh, This creation is meant to be uh, just as we see in Scripture, good and very good. And the more we're immersed in it, the more we know that, and probably the more we'll take care of it, (laughs) the more we realize this is part of us and we are part of it. It's not disposable. The next thing has to do with finding the flow. Recognize that the spirit is moving and looking at how you might move along with it. If you want to use a sailing metaphor, that'd be pretty good. That when you try to work against the wind, uh, it's going to be tough going. But if you can figure out a way to move with the wind, uh, you're going to get somewhere and trust it that the wind of the spirit of god is always on the move it's always moving and it's always moving in a predictable direction and the predictable direction it's always moving is what god is trying to do in the whole world which is to redeem it to bring it up to restore it to make it whole that is what god is all about you've heard the word salvation before that's what salvation at its core means so when you are part of that restoration process you know that That you are moving along with God if you're a part of a redemptive process particularly if conflict has happened you know that you are you are not acting alone but the Spirit of God is with you by the way conversely if uh, you know that you are acting at odds with that if you are working out of hatred and anger and all that um, I've just got a little little tip for you you're probably not operating from the winds of the Spirit of God because that kind of hatred usually leads to evil, leads to uh, peep tearing things apart, and that's not what God is about. It's common, but it's not what God is about. So find the flow and choose to be in it. This sort of gets, I mentioned a couple things, it gets to this next thing about reconsecrating everything. Crosswalk has been doing this uh, for many years. What this simply means is, is that the reasons that a lot of people have left the faith which are many, and I've gone over those, not going to go over those again. But in some ways, they've sort of robbed people of uh, the tradition. It's robbed people of words that once had meaning, but now some of those things and some of those sacraments even um, are off-putting to some people because of how they've been uh, misconstrued, as an example. Uh, Some of you grew up Catholic and uh, in Catholicism uh, how you understand the sacrament of uh, communion um, is different than Perhaps how we, definitely, different than how we would do it here. Some of you grew up in a rigid Catholicism, which would deny you having communion if you hadn't made confession recently or if uh, you were divorced and didn't get annulled by the church in some way. You are refused. You were essentially refused by the doctrine of the church participation in the body of Christ. Literally not allowed to take a symbol of taking into yourself Christ's self. And so a lot of people hear that and they're like, if you don't want me, I don't want you. And they've just walked away from it. Baptism would be another thing like that. Some people were uh, told that baptism was the thing which would get you to heaven. And for some of you, um, you could never put the theology together in a way that uh, made that make, make sense for you. And so you refused to be baptized because um, you just couldn't get your head around that. Or some of you said that you had to sign off on a particular dogmatic statement or you could not be baptized. One of the favorite baptisms that I did uh, was with somebody about a week before we held baptism. Uh, said, so I'm having trouble with some of the concepts of Jesus in terms of orthodoxy. I'm not sure if I can totally see Jesus in this particular way and the person articulated that. Do I have to absolutely sign off on all, all these things that I've heard that theology says that I, I must in order to be baptized? And I said, no, you don't. Uh, what you're saying today is that uh, to the best of your ability, you're lining up with Jesus. And you are saying uh, in this act uh, that you want to do the best you can to follow Jesus. Jesus. Because at the end of the day, that's what it is. How you feel about the person of Jesus, back to the chart. Your understanding is going to change over time. It better change over the time. Let me tell you something. Getting backwards a little bit, but if you stay exactly like you are right now, if your beliefs and your worldview does not change one iota, What does that say about you? (laughs) I mean, come on. Have you really understood everything? Do you really have the fullness of wisdom? Are you that genius? (laughs) No. But You know, we need to be humble enough to recognize that if we are not learning and growing the rest of our life, it means that we're dying. It means that we're closing off. And when you stop growing, it means you're dying. So, you know, we respect that. So what does that mean, this re-consecrate everything? Uh, it means that we, we revisit these things. And so here at Crosswalk, now over the years, partly because I like to experiment and get in trouble frequently, uh, that we, we recognize that there are different ways, there's a different fullness about understanding things. You know, over the very first Maundy Thursday, which is the Thursday before Easter, that I was here, which was, good grief, night, It was the year 2000, that long ago. And I remember some of you, very few of you were here at that time, uh, but we had a a communion service where I took everybody through four different ways of thinking about communion that are supported in the Bible itself. Most people only know about the substitutionary tone, about eating the bread and drinking the cup as a way to absolve uh, the sin in your life. But that's that's not the way the Bible talks about it. And so I introduced you to the other three major themes of communion. We need to do that kind of stuff. When it comes to baptism, like I talked, we need to do that kind of stuff. We're doing that about how we think about worship. You know, uh, because of how we theologically in our time and our context, the way worship has been thought of very often is that we come together and we sing to songs of God to God up there somewhere that we want to please God on the throne up there. So we sing songs of worship and praise to God up there. But what do you do when you realize that God is not up there? And God is not on the throne? How do we understand worship then when we come together? We need to think differently about it. How do we construct our time together so that we're inviting the presence of God more and more deeply into our lives which is kind of what we're trying to get at here. So it's not us singing to something out there, but rather welcoming the one who's brought us in together here. It's a very different way of thinking. That's what we're talking about. And Crosswalk has been about that for a while, and we will be uh, because that's who we are. Oh, this next one, renounce and announce. This is where we need to identify mistakes and then really give the good news. That's what gospel means is good news. A lot of the theology that is causing many people to leave the faith is not the good news that Jesus came to talk about. The only good news that that particular slant of theology, that particularly um, rigid form of theology, is that Jesus came so that you could get forgiven so that you can go to heaven someday. And that is like, that is like the one note wonder. That at the end of the day, that's primarily the thing that gets, that gets tapped. The reality is that, that the gospel that Jesus came to, to give was provocative, it was challenging, and it was liberating. Remember, this is the guy that went into very small segments of the society, mind you. So you had 90, 95, maybe 99% of the culture could be represented one way. And Jesus made effort to go to the marginalized to the ones who knew they were not welcome. He went to people who were in leprosy camps who were told, you have to stay away. You've clearly been judged by God. And he chose to go into the camps and be with them and bring healing and true gospel with them. What does that say? What What is the thing that he's challenging there? He's challenging the notion that these people are rejected by God. And so he goes into the camp and brings healing to them. Were people upset about that? You bet they were. Why are, you, why are you spending time with this narrow group of people over here that represents so few when really it doesn't have anything to do with us? Because now we're stuck with the lepers. Now we have to think about the lepers differently. The question for you would be, who are the lepers in our society today? Who are those who have been cast out? Who, have those, who are those who've been marginalized? And if we are Jesus followers, really, what does that mean for us? It might be people who make choices on their own. So Jesus hung out with prostitutes and other sinners, like tax collectors, people who for a wide range of reasons, most of them probably tough reasons, found themselves making decisions that if, on, if circumstances were different, they may have chosen otherwise. And instead of rejecting them, Instead of looking at them as second-class citizens, which is what everybody was doing, Jesus elevates them and brings good news to them. You are loved by God. Why did he keep doing that? Because he knew that love had the power, and love is the only thing that has the power to transform. And he knew that the prostitute and the tax collector and the leper, he knew that women in general who were treated as, truly treated as property back then, He knew that they would be redeemed. He knew that they would be lifted up if they would know just how much they were loved by God. But it took somebody to take the risk to identify the mistake and to then proclaim the gospel. What are those things that we need to identify today? Well, we've done a lot around here. We've done a lot on understanding the Bible in a way that Jesus wouldn't have interpreted the Bible and saying you know what the more we look at the rabbinical tradition of which Jesus was a part we can no longer say that this is how we should treat the Bible because if Jesus didn't treat the Bible like uh, like the loudest voice says we should then why in the world are we doing it that way when we take a look at gender Uh, We think to ourselves, well, what did Jesus do with this? Jesus equated, brought people into his camp. The apostle Paul did the same thing. You had women pastors in his day, and yet there are still Christian traditions today that won't allow gender equality. Come on, I mean, this is crazy. There are churches today that if you're divorced, you're a second-class citizen. That goes against the grace of God. How do we understand this in a Jesus way, and how can we proclaim good news? The LBGTQ front uh, is one massive area that probably represents uh, the leper colony class now in our society within the Christian world than any other group right now. So what are we to do? How can we proclaim freedom? Well, we do it like we've done it here. We look at the actual text. We understand the context. And we say what the Bible is talking about is not what we're talking about today. And so we preach freedom. and We preach grace we preach welcome, because that's who we are, because that's who Jesus is. And if we're following Jesus, that's who we are. So anyway, that's part of what we do. We renounce and announce. We identify the mistakes. We we don't brush them under the rug. Uh, We take a look at them and we say, well, let's talk about this then and see what is really there because those things are not going to go away. Stay loyal to reality. Um, Know and avert your bias. We're going to do something with this in just a moment, so I'll come back to that. And the final thing here is to stay humane. Uh, And, you know, we go back to a deeply biblical uh, way of understanding about what does a good human being look like? And McLaren refers back to Micah 6.8. Micah was a prophet in the Old Testament. Well, his work is is an Old Testament book. He was a prophet in the later time, the later development, the last years before Israel totally crumbled. And he, as well as many other prophets, were trying to talk sense into the people of Israel, the common people and the leaders of the religion itself. They were speaking from the outside and they saw things coming which were not good. They saw that, Micah speaks into this very specifically, that they thought that uh, faith was transactional, that if we just do enough for God, then God will finally be swayed to do enough for us. So if we sacrifice enough animals, that's why we haven't seen things really change, is we just need to sacrifice more. And if we sacrifice more, then God will finally restore Israel to its former glory. In the United States, we had a similar reality in the 1950s where there was a a marriage between politics, big corporation, and conservative Christianity that had the same idea. If we just get enough people in church, if we get enough people being religious, it's gonna solve all of our problems. But it didn't solve all of our problems. In fact, in many ways it ignored some of our greatest problems which led to the civil rights movement in the late 50s into the 60s. This idea of transaction, just want to say this really out loud. If you have an idea of God, that God is up there as this judge and you've got to do something to make this God love you and finally be with you, you're wrong. You're wrong. And I'm not saying that as a jerk like, oh I know better than you do. I'm telling you I'm a, I've done a lot of scholarship and I'm telling you that is not the heartbeat of God. If our idea is transactional, it's off. Because the way that God has been trying to speak to us from the very beginning is I want to do relationship together. I want to be with you. I want to help you in your life. And I want you to model my spirit the way that the prophet Micah talked about this is after he said after he asked and answered his own question should we sacrifice 10,000 more bulls is that what God wants and he says no here's what the Lord requires of you that you act justly so you work toward justice you love mercy so you're graceful when you do it you're not a jerk and you walk humbly with God so in short what does it mean to be a person who is walking in the flow, to be a true deep human being and the truest self possible. It means we're people who see injustice in the world and we actually do something about it. And the way we do it is not to take a, a club and beat people, but we do it with mercy, that we're graceful in our, in our interactions. And what is our whole MO? What is our ethos? That we're humble people that we recognize we don't always get it right, that we will always be tempted toward power. We will always be tempted to lord power over others. It's who we are, and that should keep us very humble. So, to that end, I want to take you through an exercise. It's going to last us about five to seven minutes. And one of the gifts that McLaren um, gave us in this book uh, was a series of statements to help identify and pray against, to mitigate against bias. And so you have the printed stuff in your, uh, in your, in your hands on your table. Um, and we're going to go through a paragraph at a time and just spend time with this. And I thought, you know, I could just ask you to read this on your own time like the chart. We can't do that. Because here's what I know will happen there's a Niners game. They're playing the Chiefs. Uh, Lynn and I are not sure how to pray (laughs) because these are our two favorite teams, you know, so it's going to be a a lot of of tension in our car as we go to visit Noah today. And um, so I know you're not going to read it, frankly. I know that I might get 5% of you to actually take the time to read it. And I think it's important. I think it's important to recognize that we are prone to certain types of bias, so we're going to make this a spiritual act today. And I'm going to read these out loud. They're going to be on the screen if it's working. Yep. And we're going to start with confirmation bias. and I'm going to read it. We're going to sit with it a second and then move on to the next one. There are 13 of these, but I want you to see them and pay attention to the words see what sticks with you if you hate it that's fine then come back later and say why do I hate this so much why is this bothering me so much don't let it just go away don't just reject it wonder why so the first thing is confirmation bias and the prayer is this by the way you're gonna notice that um, each one of these prayers does not start with Heavenly Father nothing against Heavenly Father that's a biblical way to pray but it is a broader way to think about God. And so every every prayer is gonna start with a different way of rendering God because it's all metaphor. So source of all truth, help me to hunger for truth, even if it upsets, modifies, or overturns what I already think is true. Guide me into all the truth I can bear and stretch me to bear more so that I may always choose the whole truth, even with disruption, over half-truths with self-deception. Grant me passion to follow wisdom wherever it leads. That's a good prayer. The next one has to do with complexity bias. Spirit of wisdom and understanding, help me not be seduced by simple lies or repelled by complex truths. Instead, teach me to seek out understanding as if it were hidden treasure, digging deep beneath surface appearances to discover what is real in the depths." The next one has to do with community bias. Inspirer of holy boldness and humble bravery. What a name for God. Inspirer of holy boldness and humble bravery. Give me the humanity to learn from my community along with the courage to differ graciously from my community seeking truth even when my companions are unwilling to see it or accept it. Help me remain humbly loyal to the truth even when I am misjudged and rejected by my community for doing so. Hmm. The next one is contact bias. Revealer of insight Do not let me be satisfied to see only what is visible from my limited perspective. Grant me insatiable curiosity to understand what my neighbors can see from their different vantage points. Help me draw near to them, to walk with them, to see through their eyes, hear through their ears, and feel through their experiences. So my horizons will be broadened through empathy. The next one is complementarity bias. Spirit of wisdom, protect me from being misled by those whose words are full of flattery, familiarity, and false promises and keep me humble enough to learn from those whom I am tempted to dismiss as strange, difficult, or unfriendly. Hmm. The next one is competence bias. Wellspring of all self-knowledge, give me humility so that I do not overestimate my competence. Save me from both excessive confidence and a lack of confidence. Instead, please grant me proper confidence to see myself, my abilities, and my limitations with a clear eye and sound mind. The next one is consciousness bias. Voice who beckons me toward growth. Help me see what I am mature enough to see right now. And not only that, help me to know now how little I can know until I grow more mature. Grant me the curiosity and awe so that I may honor the bottomless, Limitless wonder, beauty, and mystery of this world. The next one is the comfort complacency bias. Spirit of truth who sets us free by the truth. Do not let my desire for comfort blind me to truths that will inconvenience me. Grant me resolve to welcome the pain that often comes with wisdom. Help me choose empathy over apathy and courage over complacency and to abhor the bliss that accompanies ignorance. Hmm. The next one is the conservative liberal bias. Holy source of both surprise and consistency. Help me never to be held captive by rigid ideology on the one hand or addiction to novelty on the other. Do not let me be blinded by conformity or loyalty to any political party or economic arrangement. Whatever is changing around me, help me always to do justice persistently Love kindness cheerfully and with unflagging sincerity to walk in humility with you, my God. Boy, do we need that one. The next one is confidence bias. Cosmic witness who cannot lie. Keep me vigilant against con artists for whom lies and truth are spoken with equal confidence and who tell me what I want to hear so that I will do what they desire. Protect me from surrendering to others, my responsibility to think for myself. (laughs) The next one is catastrophe bias. Holy light who illumines what is real. Help me to see danger that is all the more threatening because it unfolds gradually and likewise. Help me to see possibility that is easily missed because it emerges slowly and subtly. Grant me, I pray, the long view. The next one is the cash bias. Beloved one who loves me, help me to hate money in comparison with you, and help me see in the love of money the hidden root of all kinds of evil. That's an almost direct quote from Scripture. So that I may see and cherish what has true value, freely giving what I cannot keep to gain what I cannot lose. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And the final one that he offers is the conspiracy bias. Companion who walks with me in light. Help me guard my heart from stories and theories that cast me as an innocent victim or virtuous hero while simultaneously casting someone else as villain or enemy. Instead, help me join your cosmic conspiracy of kindness, justice, joy, and peace for all, seeing myself and all my neighbors as equal beneficiaries of your boundless, merciful love. Now we're going to take a moment of silence uh, to sort out what's been happening in you and then we'll do our rendition of the Lord's Prayer while I'll say the stuff that's familiar and you do other and then we're going to have the band uh, close us and a new song that Jennifer's brought to us called So Will I and it's a, it's a statement of choosing to be faithful uh, even when it's tough. But first, would you join me in just some quiet stillness and prayer? I want you to think about what we've looked at today, all these different ways of how to be Christian, how to be Jesus followers in today's world. I want you to reflect on all those 13 prayers that we just looked at. Out of all of it, what seems to be messing with you right now? What seems to be nudging you? What's of interest to you? Or what really annoyed you? Spirit of God, you are flowing in this place. You're a part of the mix. You're always a part of the mix. There's nothing we can do, nowhere we can go that you are not. Your breeze is always blowing in the direction of our redemption and the redemption of everyone else on the planet and the redemption of the planet itself. And your winds are blowing here and now. And I believe that you are part of what is nudging us today. That when things nudge us and bubble up, maybe through something that was on the screen or something I've said or through one of the prayers or through the songs that that were offered today or the meditation, you're a part of it all. And so I'm asking you, God, that your spirit help identify what do we need to pay attention to do right now? What do we need to pay attention to today? right now and God if you could further nudge us why is the thing that seems to be sticking sticking help us ask and answer the question why is it relevant to us why might it be sticking out Maybe there was a word of accountability that we needed to hear today. Something that resembled parts of us that we're not happy about and needs to change. Maybe there were things that are nudging us today that were really affirmative. It's like we're hearing your spirit whisper in our ear with great kindness and love. Hey, this is true of you. Lean into this. Your loving kindness, your grace is with us when you correct us as much as it is when you lift us up. Spirit of God, I ask that you also help us know in this moment what do we need to be doing differently? What are you inviting us into? What do we need to do with our lives? in response to the nudges of today. God, may we be a part of the solution, a part of the redemption, Help us not to simply become one more noisy part of the problem that is becoming and doing the very same things that we can't stand. Help us be like Jesus who when he saw injustice went after it but did it with kindness even in strong still with kindness and yet he (laughs) of all the people in all of history who had the right not to be humble, he chose humility. May we reflect more and more and more and more the character and nature of the one we claim to follow. To that end, God, we pray the prayer that you taught us to pray, and we pray as well an interpretation that might fit Our context today let's read the whole thing out loud together so you get to do the the classic part two let's say it together our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven our loving supportive holy Abba who art here and everywhere the divine commonwealth come thy will be done through us Give us this day our daily bread. We are grateful for the gift of food and work for all to eat their fill. Forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And may we work for a world where mutual grace and respect abound, modeled after you. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Strengthen us for the work we're called to embrace. Amen. Let it be so.